the way I would describe it is I couldn't see tomorrow. I had no idea of what tomorrow looked like. So it made no sense to be alive because I was out of school Had also dropped to my other potential career. What was I going to do with my life? Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives. We almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with survivors. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. Remember, our main goal here is to help more people in more places feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. And I should add, if you are a suicide attempt survivor, and sometimes people define that a little bit differently, you get to decide for yourself and you'd like to join me here and talk you can share. There's no other eligibility. There's no other requirements. Just being open and honest. That's all you got to do. And if you'd like to get involved or participate, there's some other ways you can do that. Check the show notes. I know you've heard me say that on multiple occasions if you've heard the podcast before. That includes our membership site. We would love more members. We could use the support. Again, you can find more information on that, among other things, in the show notes. So have a quick scroll down. And remember, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, rating and reviewing helps people find it. And you know we want more people to find it. So thanks very much. And however you're involved or participated, we really do appreciate it. Now, do keep in mind... We're talking about suicide on this podcast. We know it's not a great fit for everybody, so take that into account before you listen or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Alexia. Alexia lives in Quebec, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hello, Alexia. How are you? I'm fine. So you're a... Suicide attempt survivor and a storyteller, among other things. Among other things. That's right. We will talk about both. Probably a little more of the suicide stuff. That's what we're here for. Right. How are you comfortable, I guess, is the question, in talking about something that's so sensitive or difficult for people to talk about? For starters, I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder, type 2, 2017. Mm -hmm. It was like five years now. When I was diagnosed, I was kind of shyer about it. I wasn't talking so much about it. I wasn't an attempt uh, survivor back then. So it wasn't necessarily something that I, that I talked about. But then I ended up starting to study in the field of special care counseling. And these people do work with mental health patients. And a lot of people who end up in social work, or psychology, or a lot of us are trying to just understand each other. So I I guess I ended up starting to talk more about mental health issues, being surrounded by mental health providers and, and wanting to become one as well. And then that kind of just became just normal as a topic, the same mm-hmm. way anything that's a part of your work becomes 
normal, right? Like if, if you work in a clothing store talking about clothing becomes normal. Well, I was in the mental health field, so it made sense to talk about suicide. So I guess the reason why I feel comfortable talking about these things is because I have spoken about those things, both as a, as a professional back then, and also as just somebody who had, well, has mental health issues. Are you no longer in the field, in that field? Not in the field anymore. I, I, I didn't finish my studies. So here in Quebec, we have what they call a CEGEP, and that's kind of like a college, if you will. You basically do either two years and then you go off to university or you do a three-year program and you, you kind of get a career out of that. Special care counseling was a three-year program. And I, I was, in, my, I was in, a, in an internship and one of the uh, teenagers I was on the field with, it was, it was a very, very small school. He, he was murdered like straight up in, in the, in the school's parking lot, I guess. I don't remember exactly, but I, so I, I quit my internship because I was like, this is a little bit too heavy for, for me. I'm not, I'm not at that level of professionalism yet. And I was realizing that I could make the same amount of money as a mental health care provider and a special care counselor as I would if I were into a field of arts. And I was like, huh, I think one is less stressful than the other. <laughs> I yeah. think that one would be better for me. I, I, I am still very passionate about um, mental health. And I do put time, I think, in the field in a different way. Kind of like this right now, right? Yeah. I feel like yeah. that is a way of, of impacting. Just with the knowledge I have, helping people around me better. For sure. Okay, so you had said in 2017, you got diagnosed with bipolar. You had, at that point, you were not a suicide attempt survivor. Do you have one attempt? I have one, and that's quite enough for me. I, when was that? So time is very blurry for me for that, but I think it's end of September, beginning of October of last year. I'm always so curious. So here you are. You talk about it sometimes. Did you tell anyone you're going to be talking with me? So I live with my boyfriend. So he knows I'm doing this right now because he's on the other side of that wall. <laughs> he knows specifically what this content is? This yeah, yeah. Content? He, he totally knows. All right, cool. But were you together with him when you tried? Yes, I, I, and we were living together. This is a question I don't usually ask people. And you could, of course, say, like, I don't want to talk about it to any question. <laughs> I guess I'll ask you about the attempt. I want to know how he, living with his girlfriend, how that was for him. And I know it's not your story to tell, but from your perspective. He's amazingly supportive. I'm very, very lucky. He's just, he's the best. I, I keep saying this. I, oh man, it's getting me emotional. That's how much I love him. He was there the night I attempted. He was distraught. The word is distraught. It was, I think it was a traumatizing experience for him. So for, for bipolar disorder, I have to take medication and that's what I used for my, for my attempt. Right. Like he was living with me and he's, he's always known I've taken medication. He's like, he of course knows about my diagnosis and he knows where I keep my medication. And so for a while we had to have him keep the medication because, because I was too fragile. He can't keep my medication forever. Right. At some point, he, he's got to put it back in the and we keep it in the bathroom. You know, sometimes I just get up in the middle of the night to go pee, like, you know, most humans do. He would get very scared if he woke up and I wasn't next to him. I, I, I would maybe be gone for like two minutes to just go pee and come back. But he would always, he always felt that anxiety, I think. Um, so it's a lot of little things like that, right? That just kind of took over. We're in a great place right now. I'm, I'm in a much better space than I was. I, I think it was very hard for him to see that. And I think that, you know, that's, that's like the lowest point, right? So he's always terrified because even with medication, bipolar disorder is not necessarily 
something where you never have lows or you never have highs. So when he sees it coming on progressively, right, I think he he kind of always anticipates it and always is like, are we getting there? And I can only imagine how terrifying that is, right? Because I'm I'm here like, don't be silly. It's fine. Like, I'm not going to do this again. And he's just like, but what if you don't come back from the bathroom, you know? It's pretty heavy. Yeah. You think it's everybody's low point? I mean, what what would be lower than wanting to end your life? Yeah, and I should just ask you, we're just speculating. I think for some people, continuing to live is lower. For some people I've spoken to. Like that's how bad their pain is. And it's not going away. In fact, a lot of people it go, it subsides, sure. But not for everybody. That's just truth. We're speaking truth. Yeah, no, it goes on and it's really I don't know. It's maybe it's semantics. I mean, yeah. it's all really low. So tell me about the suicide as much as you want to. In addition, I know how you did it. Okay. So I'll start from the lead up. For context, I'm starting up university for the first time. Um, at that point in my life, I've been in college forever for something like six or seven years, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't have an actual college diploma. I applied to university with like the fact that I had enough credits and I had done my gen eds and I was, I was like, good, I could apply to this program and they accepted me. And I'm basically in a, in a creative writing and a screenplay program. So screenwriting and creative writing, which I thought was going to be really awesome. Mm. Honestly, I was leaving the mental health field to go do something creative. And I was going to, I was going to write, I was going to be surrounded by like-minded people who wanted to create and wanted to maybe ask difficult questions, right? Um, and, and find maybe meaningful answers. I don't know. I was just really excited about the thought that I was starting a new chapter of my life and also finally allowing myself to be a professional artist, right? This was the first step to it, mm-hmm. I felt. And I got there and it wasn't like that at all, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. I was surrounded by horrible people. Really? <laughs> I was surrounded by people, yeah. I was surrounded by people who were, I guess it just didn't fit. I was I was at a university that was very scholarly and I'm very concrete. I like doing things my writing process is I is I open up a notebook and I start writing. I'm not somebody who's going to have this strange process and I just do it, right? I was surrounded by people who were from very intellectual s- circles, from very wealthy circles, which mm-hmm. I am not. This is a bad combination, Alexia. Um, I should have seen it coming. I mean, I don't know about that, but it's well, but also what I'm hearing is like you were so excited. I was. I was really excited. I think I really had my hopes up. I, I kind of had the pink goggles on, right? I wasn't seeing everything very clearly. And then I got there and I realized the workload was not, I wasn't ready for that. And my classes were not what I had hoped either. Since I was in my first year of university, I wasn't doing all the excited classes. I was doing all the boring classes. I was doing all of the um, required classes to get your diploma. So my my program was of two two fields, cinema and the French department, because I'm in Montreal, so we we speak French here. So I was in a literature, the literature falls under French. So I had to do a grammar class, which I don't know if you've studied French grammar. It's not the funnest thing to do. And I dated then, a French girl once. Does that count? I, sure. Can you can you conjugate verbs? I mean, no, not at all. I couldn't do shit. She fucking broke up with me, Alexia. I'm single. What the <laughs> fuck? I'm so sorry. And now she married a guy who was bald. Not joking. Hey, it's not about me. Get back to you. Let's go. It's okay. You know, I I, I was taking a, a French grammar class. I was taking 
a history of cinema class, which was all the movies before 1940. So before cinema got fun. Oh yeah, it was bad. It was very theoretical. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to open up my book and write and discuss and edit and do all of the, and I wasn't doing any of that. And Mm -hmm. it made no sense to me. How was I going to learn how to be a screenwriter or a novelist or a playwright or any, any type of writer if I wasn't writing this made and I was paying two thousand dollars a semester which is nothing compared to U.S. money but still Um, it's a lot of money to not be doing what I was supposed to be doing which was having fun as well and I wasn't making any friends and I just kept kind of circling in this pool of misery I was just really unhappy and so the downs started to appear I would progressively skip class, stay in bed all day. I would not have energy to cook or clean or take a shower. Oh man, taking a shower sucked or brushing my teeth. I fucking hate brushing my teeth. So how do you know as somebody for you only, of course, you have bipolar. Yeah. How do you know if you're not dipping into a low as opposed to like, well, this is more than that. My life sucks. This is bad. It's very sneaky. It's very sneaky. It starts off with, I think I just need a day off to, I've just taken three days off to, it's been a week to, I have creeping thoughts that I should kill myself. Do you remember the first time you ever thought that? I think I was 17. So do you think you were undiagnosed or just living life and you felt that way sometimes or both? Oh, I was undiagnosed for sure. When you like look back, you're like, oh, it kind of makes sense now. Oh yeah. Cause There's nothing like when you get diagnosed and then the psychologist asks you questions and they kind of all tick a box. Yeah. And you go, oh, there's a name for that. (laughs) I thought it was a special snowflake. What if more people laugh or cry in that moment of realization? Both. Now, when I look back on the moment of diagnosis, I look back at it kind of the way comedians, I think, tend to look back on these terrible moments of their life. And they're like, this is good material because you kind of look at it from this different perspective. Thank God you and they have that lens. Yeah, I'm I'm really thankful for um, writing and storytelling and comedy and all of these things because they do give such a good perspective it's it's my way of coping which i know we're going to get to that probably later but it is it is a huge part of it all right so you were last fall you were in one of those where you were in bed and you didn't do a lot of things that you know like brushing your teeth yeah so i was kind of spiraling and not doing very well i was seeing a friend from high school that i hadn't seen in a while. Um, and I was seeing him and his girlfriend and my boyfriend was coming with me and we were all going to, to get dinner at a, at a pub. We go there and we end up talking. And I don't think these were the right people to see that night. It ended up putting me in a, in a really bad state. So the friend I was seeing from high school is really accomplished. He got married the year after high school to his like childhood sweetheart, right? He's gorgeous. They own a business together. I'm getting annoyed. But they're great. I love them. <laughs> they're not. They're not assholes about it, though. They're really good people. To put the nail in the coffin, they um they were getting a house. They they just built their like they just built their house. So they're just doing really good. And I'm not. And I know I'm on the verge of quitting school. I'm on the verge of quitting university three weeks in, and I feel like such a failure. 
it's a very tough feeling for me because I also, I am surrounded by amazing, great people who are really talented. And I have this terrible habit of comparing myself to them. And I shouldn't do that because I, I have other great qualities and I, and I do other good things that they don't do. And it's okay that they don't do those things as well. But when you're in the moment, you forget that. It's and, hard to have that clarity. Yeah. And I would imagine dealing with bipolar also probably doesn't make it any easier. You think it does and then it doesn't. You, you really think that you're getting the hang of it and you know what you're doing. And then something happens and your meds don't work or the stress is too much and your your meds do work, but you're just going through shit and everybody would be affected by that. And that's okay. But it's so hard. It's so hard. It's really tough to, to manage. Even if you are in a state where you're like, I'm getting manic right now. I mm -hmm. can see it happening. Mm -hmm. I know I'm spending too much. Mm -hmm. I know I'm not sleeping enough. That doesn't mean that just because you know you're doing shit doesn't mean you're going to stop. I mean, you could argue it makes it worse in some ways because you're aware of it. Yeah. Worst conversation ever. I once had a, a conversation with a psychiatrist and he told me, you're very lucid, you know? And I was like, that's the kind of compliment you could only get from a psychiatrist. It's kind of like What's a nurse telling you, you have great veins. It's the only time you'll ever hear that. Are you going to use that? Is that a bit? It's not a bit. It's just, it's, it's a fact. Like it's, it's one of those things that I've noticed. So, so the night you meet at the pub with the, the fancy couple, is that the night you try? Yeah. I get home, go to the bathroom to remove my makeup and to take my daily pill. I'm lining them all up on the counter. They're all there. Everything I own in that cabinet, what I need and some extra, right? It's all there. It's all on the counter. And I'm thinking about doing it. And I fill up this glass of water and my boyfriend comes into the bathroom and realizes what's going on. And he asks me how many I've taken. And I say, I haven't taken any. And he tells me I have to tell him the truth. And I tell him I haven't taken any. And he says, okay, just take what you need. So I just take what I need. Like the normal prescribed amount? Yeah, the prescribed amount. And I put it all back in and we head to the kitchen and we decide that I should call the crisis center. If you've heard the podcast, you know, I have rather strong feelings about some of these places. Tell me what happens next. Okay. Healthcare provider talking here. So there are different options that you have access to here in Quebec. The classic is the emergency room. You go to the R, you tell them they're ha you're having suicidal thoughts. They take away... Most of your stuff, right? They take your phone, they take your, you know, personal belongings, and you kind of just put on this gown and you eat hospital food and you wait to see a doctor and sometimes they keep you in and whatnot. The crisis center is not quite like that. The way the crisis center works is you call them and if you feel like you are a danger to yourself, you can go there and okay. they have space. Mm. But it's not as restrictive as the hospital. If you want to have your phone to be able to, talk to your boyfriend, talk to family, you can. Usually you find out about the existence of this place when you show up to the hospital and they say, well, you know, if you don't want to go to the ER next time, here's something that exists, right? You can call this hotline. And these are like real mental health professionals. And, you know, they, they, they have a place and it's, it's basically under the same jurisdiction. It's all from taxpayers' money, right? It's under the healthcare system. It's a part of it. So the way it works there is you have to get up by eight or nine if you're sleeping over there and lights out are like at 10 or 11 p.m. You give them your medication and they give you your prescribed dose. But other than that, you're 
pretty free-ish. The mm. first 24 hours, you can't go out because usually you're a lot too fragile. But if say you needed to have an appointment with your doctor 48 hours later, you could. If you wanted to just go over to your grandparents' house and play a game of cards, you can't. You just have to tell them when you're coming back. And you have to be back by that time. If you don't, obviously, they call the police and they search for you. But they 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 give you, they grant you this certain amount of trust. But they also provide the structure of you need to be up by this time. Because otherwise, I'm going to spend all day in my bed. And you need to take a shower. And you don't you, you don't have to cook. Um, but if you use, I don't know, if you take a glass of milk, right, you have to clean it. Sounds like a pretty cool place so far. It's pretty chill. And you were there. And I was there. It's in a walking distance from my home. So my boyfriend ah. and I could walk to the crisis center. And I could stay over there for as long as I felt I needed. Wow. I ended up staying, I think, two days. I didn't stay there very long. I was missing my boyfriend. I wanted to sleep next to him. Yeah. Okay, so you're back with your boyfriend after a couple yeah. of dates. You're alive. Glad to be alive. Feel weird? The way I would describe it is I couldn't see tomorrow. I had no idea of what tomorrow looked like, so it made no sense to be alive. Even afterwards? Yeah, yeah. because I was out of school, yeah. but I had also dropped my other potential career. What was I going to do with my life? And that's October? Yeah. Has it changed in the last six months? Uh, the honest answer would be I'm kind of throwing shit at the wall and seeing what what sticks. Did I mention my boyfriend's amazing? Because he is. Uh, you did, but we can do it again. Yeah, no. So let's let's mention again how great he is. I, I like saying it like this, but he has his adult job. <laughs> so he, yeah. he he's finished his studies, right? He has a master's in, in applied mathematics because he's very, very intelligent. I know, he's so smart. Wait a second. What's the difference of a regular math is regular math. Applied math is you're using it in a more specific way. Yeah, more concrete way. Um, he was lucky enough to be paid during his master's. So he has no student debt. He only just moved out of his parents' house this summer. You know, he was he was making enough money and he wasn't really worried about it. At the time, we, he, we actually weren't living together officially. I had my place with a roommate. But I was spending most of my time there. And he was like, well, why don't you come actually live with me? And you don't have to worry about finances. Because I was planning on affording this place full-time on my own, like no problem. Like we can find a way to make finances work for you and also for me where you wouldn't have to freak out or anything. And you could take this time to just figure out what it is you want. What's his name? Antoine. I need him in my life. He's amazing, right? I need him to I... come over here to North Carolina. He's super French. He's super French. You're super French too? I'm super French too. Why, pas de problème. Love, love, love. I want to do this podcast in French. I just can't speak French. <laughs> do you think if you were living alone that night, you'd be dead? Yeah. You know, ODing is so weird. It doesn't usually work. You were going to make that shit work, you think? I could never possibly know, but I'm I'm pretty sure I would have attempted again, probably since then, if I hadn't, if I hadn't died that night. I don't know how I could have gotten back up without him. That's terrifying because yeah. I don't want to put that pressure on him, right? He chose you. You chose each other. It's part of it, no? So I told him pretty early on. When I met his mom, I told her at the dinner I met her that I was bipolar. And she was just so accepting and loving. Mm. I have the best in-laws. I'm so lucky. I You're really not married, are you? We're not married. Did you meet on a French dating site? Uh, we met on OkCupid. It's not French. No. Uh, yeah, I know. It doesn't matter. You met, you're together. So 
Yeah, I always wonder about like the people who don't make it. One of the things for sure is there's no one around. That's a huge part of it. No one's around. So they try and they die or they try again a day later or a week later or a month later. So when we talk about mental health, we talk a lot about protective factors and um, risk factors, right? What makes you more at risk to commit suicide and what makes you more at risk to be on the path to recovery afterwards or to maybe not attempt again? I don't know. I don't know how to phrase that. Anyways, and one of the big things is, are you well surrounded? Yeah, it's obvious when we say it aloud, isn't it? It, Yeah, it makes total sense. Do you think suicide should be a choice for people like, let's say abortion is a choice for many women? I do. I know it's a bit of an apples and oranges comparison, but you do. I, I tend to agree. Oh, here's the thing. I believe in assisted medicated suicide, right? It's very conditional. That's, the, that's where the asterisk is. And that's my question is unconditional. I get to choose whatever no. I want. No. Why not? It's not because you can't see your reason to live right now that there isn't one. Mm-hmm. So you're, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't loaded. So part of that tells me that you're not in the right frame of mind to make that decision. Yeah. And maybe another way to frame it is you'd regret it. You would, you would. There's, there's a very common kitschy saying yeah. that says that suicide is a permanent solution. Ooh, to you're going to piss some of my listeners off. I know I'm, I'm okay with that. From my experience, I'm bipolar. Downs are temporary. Mm-hmm. They are. You come out of them. So from, from my perspective, that's what it is. That doesn't invalidate other people's experiences, right? I yeah. know that some people obviously come from a very different life experience where it's like, I was born and, and my life was shit because my parents' life was shit because my grandparents' life was shit. Mm-hmm. And if I have kids, their life is probably going to be shit. I, I live in poverty and it's very hard to come out of poverty. <laughs> and then all of these risk factors, right, that are there. So that generational trauma mixed with the poverty, mixed with this, mixed with that. It's a Molotov, right? And it's just, it, it's really, it'll kill you, <laughs> quite literally. The question for me is just a broader one. And it is very complicated, particularly when talking about, you know, someone not being in their quote, right mind. But who are we giving agency to? Who are we allowing to make those decisions? I don't think there's really an answer necessarily. I'm not. I'm not asking it necessarily to have an answer. It's just like, ooh, compl- complicated. And, the, and if I want to end my life or try, I can. I can do that. And I, but in some countries, there's real penalties if you don't die. Jail. Yeah. Sometimes monetary for yeah. In Japan, back in the day, I lived in Japan years ago. Don't know if this is true. Just heard it. Might not be true. If you die and suicide, apparently the family pays for the cleanup. It's just so like, ooh. so it's fascinating to me how cultures deal with this. Complicated. All right. So you want to be alive right now as we speak? Yeah, I do. That that was an unfair way to frame the question. I should have just been like, do you want to be alive? I, I yeah, I do. I do. I, I have things to look forward to. Such as? I'm starting school in the fall. Different school? Different school. For for same thing? No. I'm going back to college because I like college and I prefer that <laughs> system. And I like the way I just get to actually do stuff. So I knew I wanted to go into a program. I kept saying to, to, to the guidance counselor, I'm the type of person that likes concrete stuff. I know that if I mix red and I mix yellow, it's going to give orange. orange. I want to be mixing. So I wanted to do something where I knew I was going to actually get to do the thing. 
because that was something that was really lacking. I ended up looking at a bunch of programs, but the two ones that made me want to go back to school were makeup school because I I do work um, as a cosmetician right now. I work full time as a cosmetician. Super fun job. And my favorite part of that job is actually doing makeup. So that's great. I figured makeup school or uh, uh-uh. The other option was actually getting to do another creative field, which was uh, acting. I've been acting since I was uh, in elementary school. You so. don't need to tell me which one it is. I already know. So which one did I choose? You, whatever the second one is, was going to be the one. Yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm so smart. You know that I, I have a, I've been doing a lot of theater in the last tech 10 years. You didn't know that, did you? Which is the greatest medium. It's so much fun. Great medium. I actually, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I, d- I did my audition on April 1st and I got the news, I think three days later that I was in, they asked me to do three things. So the first one was a monologue of my choice that had to be under two minutes. Okay. So I decided to do Fleabag because that's my favorite play of all time. Super fun. I, I also had to do a song. I had to do a verse from a song of my choice. And since my monologue was pretty dramatic, I thought, well, I'll do something comedic, you know, to balance things out. And I thought, well, who's, who does songs that are funny, but I don't need like this grand voice, right? Because I don't really have that. And then I thought of Bo Burnham. Oh, I love Bo Burnham. So I, I did Kill Yourself by Bo Burnham, the chorus of Kill Yourself. So I finished the monologue of Fleabag. And then I went, okay, so now for my song, I'll do a piece by Bo Burnham, which is called Kill Yourself. It'll only take a minute. You'll be happy that you did it. Just go over to your oven, shove your head in it, kill yourself. <laughs> really, you should do it. There's uh, really nothing to it. Just uh, grab a mug and chug a cup of lighter fluid. Bold choice. I, I made, I'm, yeah, and I made them laugh, which is awesome. Because they open up the audition being like, we don't really like react. So like, don't don't freak out. That's Challenge, crazy. accepted, and yeah. crushed. <laughs> crushed. And then after that, I had to do a movement piece. I had to do an original movement piece. Yeah. And you can see you're talking about this with such like joy. It's cool. Thank you. So I'm really happy about that. I have that to look forward to. That's in August slash September. And then around my birthday, I'm getting to see my favorite band live for the first time. I'm getting to see Arctic Monkeys for my birthday. I don't know them, but I'm sure they're very good. They're very good. I like them a lot. And then in August, I also have my first, I'm going on my first trip post-COVID. I've been to other cities close by, right? And we've stayed over to a hotel or whatever. But this is the first time I'm taking the plane since COVID. Antoine and I are going to Alaska. We're going on a cruise for a week. I know. I got I to gotta date this fucking guy. I know. <laughs> I, want you to consider, I want you to consider no, separating, no. but just for like a month. No. Mm-mm. It's not permanent. It's not permanent. No, no, no. Mm-mm. I bet he's very good looking too. He kind of looks like Seth Rogen. <laughs> so. Does he laugh like Seth Rogen? No, <laughs> he has a better laugh. No, he just has the beard and like the the curly hair and and the nose. It was okay, Cupid. On okay, Cupid, like one of the questions he had on his profile was like, "What are you like? What are you looking for?" And he wrote attention. That's awesome. the, one, the one after that was, "What do you think you can bring to a relationship?" And he wrote attention. If you see what we've learned, you make someone laugh, you get the you get the gig. It totally works. All right, let's get back to suicide for a few minutes. You've been very open and you shared a lot. How many people other than uh, your boyfriend know that you try to end your life other than hospital administrators? My best friends know. So probably like like my three closest friends. I don't think my sisters know. 
are they going to listen to this podcast? I'd be surprised. <laughs> Pretty unlikely they're going to stumble across it. If, uh... No, but like, I, not to diss them, but like, they didn't listen to the to the other podcast, so and they they don't really come to the show. You were comes after not to diss them, but <laughs> okay. So to diss them, they they ah. haven't freaking listened to to the other podcast. <laughs> they don't really come to shows or or stuff. I don't think it's that they're not interested or they don't want to support Mary or, or anything like that. I think it's just the, well, two of them live fairly far away. One of them has a family. Like she has three kids. She has three evil spawns of her own, which wow. is a lot of work. And she also has two dogs and she's a school principal. Like she has a lot on her plate. And my other sister, she's teaching and she's finishing her, her doctoral thesis. She's just running around. Like they're all, they've all got their shit, right? Everybody's so okay. fucking busy. Everybody's so fucking busy. I hate, it. I hate it. Me too. Do you think that you will uh, die a natural death? By natural, do you mean like not caused by by me? I mean, we could split hairs here. I mean, you know, but yeah. I sure hope so. Okay, because there's there's a saying in French that my dad says all the time. I'll I'll literally translate it, and it's like, I don't want to say fountain. I won't drink any of your water. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna die a natural death. <laughs> it's all good. I, I have a very serious mental health diagnosis. I just found out recently that I was not prescribed the right meds, which is why I've been severely depressed since May of last year. Yeah, you, you wonder how many people that applies to when they died. Yeah, because I went, so I went to a family doctor. Uh, she's in the private sector because we have, we have public health care here, but it's, I don't have a family doctor. I'm on a wait list, although I do have a mental health disorder. I could either wait at the ER for several hours, or I could pay and see a doctor whenever I felt like it. So I did the paying thing. Although my taxes pay for a system, right? Anyways, mm-hmm. that's a whole other story. So I ended up seeing this doctor. I told her I had bipolar type two, and that my I didn't want to be on my current meds anymore because they had made me gain so much weight, and I and they were making me very tired and groggy, and I couldn't keep this up. Like the side effects were too much for me. She prescribed me my old pills. And when I went to go pay for them, they aren't covered by the public insurance, the public medic Medicare. So they're $400 a month. I used to get them for five bucks a month because I I was on my father's private insurance. So I, I had access to it when I was younger, but I couldn't anymore. But I also couldn't shell out $400 a month. So I went back to the, to the doctor and she prescribed me meds that are actually for bipolar type 1. They control manic episodes more than they do depressive episodes. But type 2 bipolars have more depressive episodes. So they haven't been treating my depressive episodes at all. So it's kind of like I've been unmedicated since May of last year. Which explains a lot, you know? <laughs> like, that makes sense. Yep. So I just went back to a doctor recently. He told me... Like, why are you on these pills? And I was like, well, that's what they prescribed me. And he was like, these are for type one. You're type two, right? And I was like, yeah. He was like, what freaking moron prescribed this to you? And I was like, you're telling me I paid yeah. for the wrong care. Anyways, he wrote a document to like the Medicare so I could get my the $400 pills covered. Because technically, there are only two medications that work for bipolar type two. There's the ones that make me gain a lot of weight and that make me groggy and that have too many side effects or the $400 ones. Yeah. Jeez. My only other question is, actually, do I have two? I have two other questions. I'm done. Cool beans. And you add anything else you want, of course. 
Sure. In English, English or French. You, you mentioned a great in-laws and a family and a great boyfriend and great friend friends. Of all yeah. of those people, how many can you have a very difficult, I, I use the word difficult. I think you know what I mean. Conversation with, not necessarily like about them, but just you're going through a really hard time type thing. All of them. A hundred percent of them. Yeah. That's awesome. These are why they are considered the most important people in my life. Yeah. I can't have that conversation with my family, but I can have it with my chosen family. Do you have any myths around mental health suicide? Ooh. Myths. Don't, don't, don't. There was music, there should be music playing while we think about this. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm a real myth buster. I think there's kind of this myth around bipolar patients in particular, where it's this idea that you're like two-faced or you're not genuine. And it's just not the case. Like I feel my emotions. I feel my moods actually, because there's a difference between both. I feel my moods just like so much. I think I'm a very kind person. I'm a very generous person. But when the depression hits, I just can't even be a person, much less a kind one. Mm-hmm. And I think it brings out the worst in me, but that doesn't mean I'm not a good person, right? It just means that I don't, I don't have the strength, I think, to be one today. I guess another thing I would like, I think this is, I don't know, I don't know how to frame this. Is it, is it a myth? Is it advice? Mm, it's all good. Either way. I think this is a Tumblr post. Very hard for me to attribute the source here. But I remember seeing this post about a person saying about how much taking a shower that day was just monumentally difficult. I think we've all we've all had a really difficult day where even the most mundane of tasks seems difficult. And usually the advice that people will give will give you will be something along the lines of break that task up, right? That's a classic. But the advice that this person was getting was rules are bullshit. What's exhausting about taking a shower, say it's standing up. You don't have to take a shower standing up. Nobody knows that you took your shower your shower sitting down, but at least you got clean. Maybe the dishes are exhausting to you and you have the luxury of having a dishwasher, right? But the dishes have sat in there for too long and you pull a dish out and there's still something on it. And you're just like, oh, I have to clean it by hand. You can run the dishwasher a second time. It's okay. Nobody knows you did this right? It's cool. It's fine. You don't have to hold yourself up to the same standard, right? These rules that you've kind of made up for yourself, you can kind of just release that a little bit, right? You can kind of relieve that a little bit. I find that really helpful. Mm. Those days where it's just really shitty and I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta take a shower. I'm like, I guess it's a shower sitting down day. And then it becomes like kind of fun. I don't know. It's kind of dumb, right? Finding um, loopholes to it. Yeah. Be like a whole book. Yeah, let's let's write a whole book. You write it. I ain't writing anything. <laughs> okay. Figure out what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard though when oh well, I can only talk about myself. That stuff that you mentioned totally makes sense. But like big stuff in life, like maybe the other example you gave about someone succeeding at work, crushing it at work and you're not, or financially stable and you're not. That's hard, man. That's a really tough one. The thing that crushes me the most is myself and the expectations I, I I bring on myself. Yeah. Because I come from a family where everyone is just doing so great. But how much of bullshit, how much of that is bullshit, right? Because we're not being real with each other. One of my favorite movies slash musicals, pieces of art, whatever, whatever you'll call it, is Tick Tick Boom. I'm absolutely in love with it because it makes you realize how much of the 30 crisis, this crisis of having your life put together by a certain age, 
is societally induced. It comes it comes from this this story, this myth we've kind of created for ourselves that by 30 you should be settled down. Um, but that's that's happening less and less because there are more and more factors making it so that you happens later in life. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe. Like maybe it's a good thing that you don't get married in your early 20s because your brain's not fully developed till you're till you're 25. One of my favorite comedians is is Taylor Tomlinson, and she has this whole joke about that's the proof, that's the proof that God is a man. Yeah. Because why else would he finish your boobs years before he finished your brain? It's he's spot she's spot on. 100 That's what that is. She's also bipolar. She has yeah. a, her whole second show is about that. And she talks about how one of the things that they tell you when you're like getting diagnosed is like, you know, who else is bipolar? That person is aspirational, right? And they have the same thing as you. Mm-hmm. So the objective is for you to kind of become like that, also aspirational. It's kind of fucked up. You know, you went to college originally, or at least the second time, like I think you wanted to ask meaningful questions, right? And have meaningful conversations. And uh, I mean, it's, I think it's fair to say, in my experience, most people don't want that. And so you get your one question and a one quick answer. There's very little nuance or gray area and you're done. So you don't have any room for those conversations. It's far more interesting, I think. It's so much more interesting to not know the answer, isn't it? Yeah, I love, I love, I love pieces of art that don't finish with a, with a nicely done little bow, right? That's, there seems to be an expectation for there to really have that type of ending. I'm like, I, have a, I don't have a problem with it, but let's just push back sometimes because that's not how things are all the time. Like, yeah. Don't be afraid to tell the hard story without the happy ending. People need to hear it. Really need to hear it. I, I totally agree. Okay. And back to your super awesome supportive partner. How long have you been together? We met in December 2021. So we're we're going on a year and a half-ish. And you're going to Alaska. And we're going to Alaska. I'm going to be surrounded by glaciers. It's just going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. What else do you want to share about this stuff or anything in French or English? I said, remember? Yeah. As much as I kind of joke about this person also has bipolar. I think it's really important to find spaces of like-minded people, which, you know, if you're listening to this, you probably are. (laughs) But if you do have a specific mental health, if if you have the the chance to have one and, and you find a certain comfort in that with that label, because I know not, as some people, I, I did have a moment where I hated it and I didn't want to be defined by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay too. But I do find it beneficial to go and find people with a similar experience. If you are bipolar, there's this great documentary by um, Stephen Fry. He made a whole documentary of it with the BBC mm. where he looks at it. He he goes and interviews celebrities who are who are known and diagnosed with it. He goes and sees, quote unquote, like regular people. Um, He talks about medication. He talks about um, like the brain. He gets like his brain scanned and he talks about like the CT scan. And it really helped me. I mean, like I relate to that. And also finding out ways to cope and just finding out more. If you if you have the headspace for it, go and seek help. I think that's that's really important. I know that's really cliche. And I know there are lots of things that make it so it's it's hard, especially in places where you have to pay for it. It's it's a complicated thing. Trust me, it it helps. I may be 23. Don't let it fool you. Is that how old you are? I am. I'm 23. I was diagnosed. Oh. I was 17, which is very, they're very reluctant to diagnose under 18. Right. Yeah. 
What else you got? We gone? We done? Uh, have you watched the new Mario movie? No. I went to see it with, with Antoine yesterday. One of the characters is like this little star from like Mario Galaxy. Um, because they gotta reference that game. I'm not gonna probably say it. Yeah. Tell yeah. Me. And he's he's nihilistic. So he's like captured at Bowser's castle and they're like being lowered into a lava pit. And he's like, hooray, the sweet release of death. And he has like he has like this really high-pitched voice, like this cute little kitty high-pitched voice. And I just cackled. I laughed very loudly. If you listen to any comedy show and you hear somebody cackling, the person you hear laughing the entire time at the comedy show, that's me. In French or English? The comedy? No, you laugh. <laughs> Universal. Laughter and math and love. I'm not sure about the last one, but that's what they say. Well, thank you again. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Alexia up in Quebec. Thank you, Alexia. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. Check the show notes for all kinds of other things you can learn about, get involved with, or participate in. And if you have a moment or two and you listen on Apple, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it, and we want more people to find it. So perhaps they can feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Thank you so much for that. That is all for episode number 162. Stay strong. Do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.